Welcome to the Dead Harvey Podcast. This is Brad. Uh, Ted is out again. He's working out his recording space. He lost it temporarily uh, due to having a kid. So uh, I'll let you know when he comes back. Anyways, in the meantime, we'll be doing, I'll just be talking about uh, some more movies, kind of do like movie pairings or whatnot to talk about. I'll also be doing some more interviews. I got some of those lined up. Uh, So for today, I'd like to talk about the new Firestarter movie versus the old Firestarter movie. I thought it was kind of funny because they both have a $12 million budget. So the original Firestarter, of course, came out in 1984, $12 million budget, and then the uh, and then the new Firestarter movie, 2022, uh, just came out, and that one also a $12 million budget. Now, if you factor inflation into this picture here, $12 million in 1984 would be worth about $120 billion now, roughly. Hollywood would consider this, I think, like either an ultra-low budget or a micro-budget movie by their standards. Of course, what we at Dead Harvey would consider as micro budget is uh, far different than that. So before I get into to what I think of this movie, let's let's look at what Stephen King thinks of it. This is from Screen Rant, uh, this article, Why Stephen King Hates Firestarter's Movie Adaptation. As part of a 1986 interview with American Film Magazine, Stephen King went into detail on why he didn't care much for the Firestarter movie, despite its similarity to the source material. According to King, the movie is flavorless, comparing it to cafeteria mashed potatoes. Oh, damn, that's harsh. One special effect he didn't like involved how protagonist Charlie McGee's, that's Drew Barrymore, hair always blowing in the wind and inexplicable wind whenever she uses her pyrokinetic powers. King said he asked producer Dino De Laurentiis for an explanation as to why that happened, but never received one. By the way, her hair blows in the new movie, too. Uh, It's a pretty good, like, low-budget effect. Just blow dryer, supernatural shit's gonna happen. Barrymore's performance isn't a problem for King, which makes sense, as she also appeared in the 1985 anthology Cat's Eye, for which King penned the script. King believes the cast was full of talent outside of David Keith, who played Charlie's dad. In a hilariously blunt complaint, King said Keith has stupid eyes. King did have an issue with Martin Sheen's performance as head of villainous organization The Shop. As well, he respects Sheen's acting abilities. He doesn't believe Mark L. Lester adequately directed his performance, leading Sheen to simply channel his raving Greg Stilson character from prior King adaptation The Dead Zone. So that was what he thought of the original. And now he talks about here and why he prefers the remake over the original. This is from MovieWeb. King appreciated that the actor who plays the father in the remake is more honest than the one in the original. He explained, If you compare David Keith as Andy McGee in the 1984 film to Zac Efron and the new Firestarter, I think Efron wins the battle because he seems a lot more intelligent. And he does a lot less lying to the kid, too. In the original Firestarter movie, there's a lot of, oh... Charlie, everything's going to be all right. There's nothing that raises my hackle as much as lying to a child. This character, this iteration of Andy McGee, doesn't do that. I think Zac Efron did a wonderful job. It's a very grown-up part, and he pulled it off. Unlike the first motion picture, Efron's character does not lie to his kid. King thought highly of the actor's performance. Additionally, the writer liked the casting of Michael Greaves for the character Rainbird. King said, I read the script beforehand, I thought to myself, okay... What they've done here is they have concentrated the story and made it a family story, and I love that. They've kept the major beats in the story, and thank God they got a real Native American to play John Rainbird. That was a step in the right direction. He's pretty good. There's a lot more authenticity in that performance. It's an inward, powerful performance. Also, King noted that he was pleasantly surprised by the use of Andy's powers for a positive impact. Anyways, he goes on. There was a comforting aspect to Efron's character. He helped others who dealt with bad situations in their lives. It was something King could appreciate. 
That's what Stephen King thinks of the remake compared to the original 1984 version. So I watched these again. I had seen the original Firestarter, the original 1984 Firestarter, a long time ago. There was a period of time where I was just reading tons of Stephen King books. There was a couple years there where I just consumed as many Stephen King books as I could. And Firestarter was one of those. I really dig a lot of his early books, like Cujo, Christine, uh, Firestarter, Tommyknockers, uh, all that stuff that, that came out in the early period of Stephen King's writing when he was, when you read about when he was like super high when he was writing all this stuff, drinking like 24 ounce cans of Miller Lite or Bud Lite or whatever he was drinking, and then doing cocaine on top of it. And some of these movies, you can tell, like, they, or some of the books, especially, like, he gets into these really bizarre tangents. And I remember reading where he talks about how he would, like, get up and read stuff that he had. Uh, written the night before and doesn't even remember it. So um, there was definitely like a part of his subconscious that he was tapping into in his early days that now he still has like this massive amount of creativity, but it was just like you get a different feel from the early books than you do from, from the later ones. So anyways, the first thing I noticed as a difference between the 84 and the 2002 version is the 84 version starts out with like this weird kind of uh, saxophony, like Cinemax kind of music. Which is strange to have like uh, Cinemax or like we used to call uh, Skinemax uh, movies. It's weird to have that kind of music in a movie like Firestarter, where basically like uh, it's all about people just getting burned alive. Aside from that bizarre music choice, the music in the 2022 version, it's a John Carpenter score. And well, I don't think it's one of his best scores it's it's definitely pretty cool i mean the john carpenter score definitely elevates the movie both like the original and the remake didn't necessarily have a lot of flair or charisma or personality but the first one had more in my opinion anyways um to me it's kind of interesting when you watch these both back to back they're very close and story-wise pretty much follow the same plot except to me the main difference was the new version shows less than the old version does so the old version to me felt like it was a lot more focused because in the 1984 version, they're basically just running from this organization, this government, shady government organization called The Shop. They're they're running from this organization the entire time. It starts out with the dad and the kid running from the shop. And then there's the assassin that comes after him, the, the rainbird assassin, of course. Now, I did think that, that uh, George C. Scott, now George C. Scott's a great actor, but it was not uh, fitting for him to play uh, the Native American character, Rainbird. Very strange. Um, you don't, yeah, it takes you a while to sort of adjust to that in the movie. So they have a Native American actor playing Rainbird in the new movie. He doesn't, I mean, he does a pretty good job, but he's sort of like stoic, does not have a lot of personality. He's just kind of like a one note sort of killing machine. In the 84 version, his character was more interesting and they carried the relationship like with with uh, Drew Barrymore in the movie, because the George C. Scott character has this whole plot about how he's going to get on the kid's good side, how he's going to manipulate her, and then eventually he's going to, when the moment is right, he's going to kill her. He's going to look into her eyes as he kills her, and then he wants, basically he thinks it's, it's going to transfer her power over to him in the afterlife. So he'll take her supernatural power with him in the afterlife. I think that was much more interesting than what they did with the Rainbird character in the new version, where it was just sort of like a generic assassin. Now, I agree with King on this as well, too, that they didn't like necessarily write Martin Sheen's character to be all that compelling. But Martin Sheen has a lot more screen presence as well, too. So I mean, he's doing sort of like the generic bad guy part. There's not a lot of different levels to him but he has much much more impact on screen than gloria rubin when they did the gender swap when she took over for his character because her character is just 
sort of very bland. I mean, Sheen's character was a little bland as well, too, but it still had more pizzazz than hers. Hers was just sort of like a fairly lifeless, forgettable villain, which is a shame because they could have amped up her part. And the original version actually has a pretty cool flashback scene onto when they got tested. So when they did this test for all these college students and you have David, you have David Keith and then he meets Heather Locklear there. I mean, how lucky is that? You go to a, you go to a place to get uh, studied, become like a guinea pig. Hi, I'm here for my job for you to probe me as a guinea pig. And then you get, you're both thinking like, I'm fairly desperate here if I'm in this situation. But then you look over and uh, you meet Heather Locklear. And so, I mean, like, how could that not work out well for you? In the 80s, when when that movie came out, there was basically, when I was growing up in the 80s, there was basically two Heathers. There was Heather Locklear and there was Heather Thomas. And those <laughs> and those two Heathers are probably the one of the one of the main reasons that a lot of people think of Heathers nowadays. And just automatically, like if you're a, a lady named Heather, somebody's pretty much automatically going to think that you're hot uh, because the residual after effect of the hotness um, from Heather Thomas and Heather Locklear resounding in people's minds. So just automatically associate the name Heather with hotness because it doesn't get much hotter than Heather Locklear. So the scenes are very like sort of familiar about why the the problems that the kid has with the parents, the parents trying to sort of like control the kid's powers and and uh, the kid not, not knowing what to do with them and then burning the mom's hands. In the new version, there's a lot more like they show the kid at school and everything and they show like how the kid's being bullied and there's all this sort of extraneous stuff about how the kid deals with with the outside world when they're moving around and they have to like hide when they're when they're on the lamb and they sort of have to kind of stay off the grid not use cell phones or wi-fi or anything else like that kids pretty much like raised in a bubble it anyways it shows these outside like agitations and people antagonizing her a 1984 movie doesn't do that the 1984 movie specifically just focuses on the dad and the kid running from the government agency the shop and just trying to survive and trying to make it. And I thought that was much more, you know, if you're not going to go into that much like character depth or anything else, if you're not going to, I mean, just at least give us some more explosions, give us some more eye candy. And I think I believe the 1984 movie had that. Now, when she goes ape shit at the end and destroys everybody, you're seeing flyer, fireballs like fly across and cars exploding and shit like that. In the 2022 version, you're seeing that, but it's much more CGI based and kind of, and you just don't get it into it as much. It's more fakish. Now, the actress that played Charlie McGee in the new Firestarter is named Ryan Kiera Armstrong, and she did a great job. But I think that uh, Drew Barrymore in the original 84 version made it work because she has so, she was just coming right off of ET. So she has this certain like innocence about her and this little like she's still little kids like she has all these horrible like she has these powers where she's able to just destroy people and incinerate them but she still acts and behaves like a little kid does anyway like she throws a lot of temper tantrums and pouts more and i think that was more effective because that's something you could more realistically see a kid do when they're in that situation this little girl in uh in the 2022 version is definitely acting much more like a grown-up but i think that like the cuteness of of Drew Barrymore when she was right around the age of when she was an E.T. Counterbalance that with like this crazy, dangerous power that she has. I think it's just more fitting, more fitting for the character in the movie and for as an audience member to buy that, that she goes crazy like that. Because she comes off more like a little kid, you feel you feel more bad for her as well, too. They had like the potential 
to expand on a lot of the stuff, a lot of the elements from the first movie. So the first movie is just kind of it's sort of very cut and dry. It's just running from this government agency. must have like hunt down the father and the kid and see if they can control them and use them and or kill them. That's that's pretty much their plan. If they can control them and they can figure out how to use them for a weapon, uh, then yeah, but if they feel like they're going to cause them some danger, they're going to wipe them out and find out a way to to study them where they can use that on other people, experiment on other people. But there wasn't a lot outside of that. There wasn't all that much else to the first movie. Uh, but I think that the sort of like more of the action elements to it draw you draw me in better as an audience member. Now, the first Firestarter is a, like a great example of a movie that could really be expanded on. Maybe like expand more to to the lore and like and also like for the characterizations, they could really flesh those out. But they did not do that with this new one at all. So they basically just sort of did like I was kind of like a parallel copy and paste of a lot of the elements of the first movie. And it was just more more talking and less showing. So the couple is like sort of talking about their arguments with each other, like how they handled how they handle the child. And then they talk about the this uh, agency called the shop going after them. There's a lot more of them indoors talking. Well, in the 1984 version, it's a lot more of them on the run. Oh, and then in the 2022 version, they have Kurtwood Smith, the bad guy from RoboCop. And he's only in like maybe one, two scenes at the most. How could you not use Kurtwood Smith and may, and put him in the Martin Sheen character? Maybe he didn't want to do the Martin Sheen role that, that Gloria Rubin took over. But he would, I mean, he is such an awesome villain in the first RoboCop. I know that he doesn't like doing villain parts because I actually met him. There was a friend of mine that I went to film school with. We went to Sundance. Kurtwood Smith was there. And we were talking to him about how much we loved RoboCop and how much we loved him as the villain in RoboCop. He's like, ah, I know, guys, I know, but damn it. I just, I don't want to be pigeonholed into being a villain like that. He's like, I know it's a good character, but shit, everybody's sort of associating me with this right now. He was in a, he was in a movie called uh, Citizen Ruth at the time, which was much more, which was like an early Alexander Payne movie, which was a drama. He was trying to get away from that villain role. He's just too damn good at it though. But this movie would have really shined if he would have been the villain in the Martin Sheen role. And if they just would have like written him up to be a better villain, like give him some more like complex characteristics, show him doing some more evil shit in front of us, you know, really like make us buy this like great villain character. There's there's not a strong enough villain uh, to oppose the main character in this. I mean, either this one or or the original, to tell you the truth. But I think Martin Sheen did a better job at it in the original. The movie's sort of like cut and dry, and then there's just sort of a weird modern times element they throw into it that just makes no sense and comes out of left field in the in the new one and this is bizarre too like the, the whole choice of what they did in this so this never happened in the first one but one of the scenes they decided to add that was never in the first movie i don't know if this was in the book because it was a long ass time that i read the book but anyways there's a scene in the new movie where the little girl the cat scratches her so she gets pissed off and she burns a cat alive so this cat is like burning and bubbling and shit obviously People that made this movie did not read the book Save the Cat because in the screenwriting book Save the Cat, that's like the main thing you do. You don't take out animals because you're going to piss off the audience. So <laughs> I was I was I was surprised they made that decision. But then like well so once she did that so she burns this cat on fire and then Zac Efron comes over and he goes hey um you're gonna have to put that thing out of its misery and she goes i know i know he goes he goes she goes well why she goes it bit me and he goes look you have to 
he's sort of trying to teach her about death. And he goes, you don't want the animal to suffer. You have to put it out of its misery. He goes, because you don't know. It's something along the lines of like, you don't know how much he is suffering right now. Or she. Or maybe even they. I was like, where did this come? So apparently the cat has pronouns, which I thought was pretty hilarious. I can imagine that in the theater, uh, people would be laughing hysterically at that or just like a very cringe moment where you roll your eyes. But that sort of came out of nowhere. But Zac Efron, actually, as a father, he's got this sort of sensitive side that makes him as a, as a great father. Yeah, you definitely you buy Zac Efron in the role. But I, I didn't mind David Keith at all in the first one. I don't know why, why King had a problem with him. Uh, because David Keith, another one of those actors with like two first names, you know, like Adam Scott or Keith David, who was the voice of Spawn. So David Keith, who was in An Officer and a Gentleman. Oh, that's right. He was in the Netflix Daredevil series as as uh, Matt Murdock's dad, Jack Murdock. He's in Carrie as a detective. I remember him from Heartbreak Hotel. I remember seeing that in the theater. He played Elvis Presley. No, I don't think he was he was bad at all. I think it was just kind of like the both these movies are kind of are kind of bland. And I do agree with, with King saying that Efron had, he did have like a, a more complex character than David Keith. So Mark Lester, who did the original Firestarter, is of course notorious for one of the greatest movies ever made. And I can see how this one, why the explosions are so cool in the original Firestarter is because he made Commando and Commando has some fantastic explosions. And Commando is one of the best action movies ever made by now. It's, especially since a lot of action movies they make now don't nearly match the glory of what they made in the 80s and the 90s. He also did Class of 1984, Showdown on Little Tokyo, fantastic movie, Night of the Running Man. He's done lots of cool shit. The director of the new Firestarter is a guy named Keith Thomas, who did The Vigil, and also I Disappear, and then parentheses when you're near. I haven't seen either The Vigil or that. I heard The Vigil, I heard the vigil is actually pretty cool. I'm not familiar with the, with the new director's movies because I haven't seen his other stuff. But I'm definitely familiar with Mark Lester as he needed all kinds of cool shit. But you can tell, like, it's definitely, you can see, like, when they do the versions of it. Blumhouse, when they were in charge, you know, Blumhouse is notorious for making movies $5 million or under, unless they know they're going to make money off of it. And they need to put it in the theater, which is why they spent a little bit more budget on this one. They went up to $12 million. Sort of reminds you of, like, the Halloween remake that they were involved with, and they've been doing really good on those. Although that one did a lot better box office-wise. This one tanked pretty bad. But I think it's just mostly because of the, because it just stayed bland. It's like a lot of it is, you know, they're in, they're inside a location for too long without moving outside of it. A lot of talking that's not necessarily compelling. They're just arguing about how they're going to raise the kid. And a lot less happens on screen than did in the original. And the extraneous stuff, I don't really think they needed. And it felt like it wasn't as focused. Uh, so, I mean... When you compare the two, the original is better, not a lot better, but it was definitely, I think, like the eye candy element of it, the, me getting into like the more realistic explosions as, as opposed to CGI. Martin Sheen, I liked him better as the bad guy. I liked Drew Barrymore better as the as the main actor in it because she had that little, it's just like a little like doll character that can just turn evil at the drop of a hat if they need to. But she doesn't want to be, she wants to be, she wants to be good. And I think it just, Drew Barrymore sold it a lot better in the original, that Cute little kid that looks like a doll almost, but then they could just burn people alive. I thought that was just more, a lot more effective with her. All in all, it's just it was an opportunity to improve on a movie that had potential, but it came off as kind of bland. And when they did the remake, they just did something that was pretty much equally as bland and did a lot less showing than telling. And part of that was probably because of the lower budget. Um, but anyways... 
that's my opinion on the two. I was going to, when I was watching both of these, um, I was thinking about going, now they had like on Peacock, now I have, I got that recently. And on Peacock, they have Firestarter 2 rekindled, which is basically Charlie's character when she grows up and she's in college. But after I just watched these two, I was like, I don't really think I'm in the mood to watch this one. You know, all in all, if it's a cheap matinee, you can go check it out or I would just wait for it to come on streaming. But you're not going to see anything all that much different or better than the first one. So I think this one was just kind of unfortunately a watch. But I wish I had better news on this front, but uh, unfortunately, no. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope I saved you some money at the theater. <laughs> but if you want to check it out, definitely still go check it out. You know, Or if you get it on, on or if you have it on Peacock, it's only like five bucks a month. So you can check it out there. Okay, so that's it for now. Uh, this is Brad signing off for this week. And we'll see you next time on the Dead Harvey Podcast. Mm-hmm.